this episode of the Uncomplication Podcast, we are joined by British author Seymour Jacklin, a master storyteller whose beautifully crafted, dreamlike narratives carry listeners from all over the world to the borders of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together. Seymour's podcast, Stories from the Borders of Sleep, is a striking example of a talented creator pursuing his passions, and in this interview, Seymour not only shares a behind-the-scenes look at his inspiration and creative process, he also shines light on the challenges that face anyone who leaves their safe zone to venture out in pursuit of a dream. So sit back, relax, and journey with us to the borders of sleep and beyond. Seymour. Hey there, Ryan. How's it going? Yeah, great. How are you? <laughs> Good. I'm out here in the garage. It looks like you're on a... Uh, where are you situated? Oh, I'm on my private yacht. Oh, no. of course. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, I'm in a... We've got a, like a conservatory on the end of the house. Um, so it's, it's nice and light. Great. Well, I can't thank you enough for... Uh, being willing to participate. This is kind of a thrill for me. Uh, you've been lulling me to sleep for years now, and I'm just a, a huge fan of all of your work, and to actually be able to have a conversation with the same voice is pretty thrilling. So, um, thanks. Oh, well, this is a total thrill for me as well. So, <laughs> thanks for asking me to, to join on the, the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I just wanted to kind of start off by asking you, uh, when people ask you what you do, what is your go-to answer? Yeah, hmm. I, um, if I'm in a kind of facetious frame of mind, I might say, well, I do the laundry and I walk the dog and uh, try and stay on top of life, <laughs> I suppose. Um, but I... My kind of bread and butter is I'm a freelance writer and editor, and um, that means I could, in terms of my working life, I could be doing whatever anyone will pay me to do is what it amounts to. So I'll do quite a, a, anything from sort of academic editing work, providing English language support to um, overseas students, to writing storybooks with children or writing web content for organizations or the government so um, I've you know just from month to month from contract to contract what I'm doing really varies and that's my kind of day job um, and then the, the rest of the time I'm sleeping a lot <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's that's maybe where the podcast comes in um, I, I would see it yeah as yeah probably my one of the one of the major things I do in my spare time it is to write for pleasure, not just for for money, um, and to kind of explore this kind of strain of narrative that comes out in Borders of Sleep. So it sounds like you're almost you have a like a alter ego, and then sort of your superhero self. I think when you're really um, creating these amazing narratives and things, does it ever feel that way that you have to kind of go through the motions, but then you have this passion? It does feel like that at times, but I think one of my quests in life is to to feel everything's integrated, 
you know everything belongs to to who I am um and so a few years so five years ago when I started freelancing um it was it it was an attempt to draw together lots of different threads um of my passions and and things like that uh, so before that I really was living this kind of double life where mm. I was a psychiatric nurse and working in a hospital um where all the rules were different and it was just a, you know it was a different world you know I walked through the doors and and I I did find that my life was becoming compartmentalized in so many ways and and I keenly felt that so in many ways my step into freelancing my move towards writing is all part of a kind of a wholeness um but I will admit that the you know the the writing fiction and and writing for pleasure is quite an escape for me but I would still think yeah to a certain extent that that's what I'm really doing <laughs> and so a lot of the other stuff I'm doing is is to support that you know to make sure that there's food on the table and you know you know how it is <laughs> Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about uh, stories from the borders of sleep and maybe where that began for you? Sure. Uh, quite early on, it was about 2010 when I decided to make the leap into freelancing and, and writing. Uh, I guess from the, from the age of 11 or even earlier, I'd been fascinated by the magic, really, that writing is it's like a form of sorcery you create these strange symbols on a page and and they move mountains you know so um and i'd it was quite a, a a process over a couple of years that took me to to making that leap um i had a fairly significant dream leading up to making that leap where i dreamt that i was kind of by the side of a river with a canoe and i was trying I kept checking my equipment. There was lots of equipment kind of strapped to the canoe. And I I just, I was fiddling with the equipment and I didn't want to get in the canoe just in case my, I didn't have enough gear. Um, and I told a friend about this and like, I was aware that there was, you know, it's an exciting river and there were rapids to go over and so on. And she just said, I just think there's something in your life that, you know, you're not, you're, you're you're stalling because you don't know if you're ready or not or whether you've got enough and you should just get in that canoe and go out on the river so i think that's that kind of connects into the fact that um story the dreams have always played quite a big part in my life and my understanding of where where i am and what i'm supposed to be doing um and then i started stories from the borders of sleep as a a discipline, a creative discipline. I thought if I can commit to producing a piece of a piece of short fiction on a sort of a fortnightly basis, um, that will be just a rhythm. Um, and I very early on became convinced of um, doing one thing well, I guess, just and doing one thing with consistency. And also, it was a little bit of a mountain to climb. I just thought, I've got, I've probably got about six stories buzzing around in my head, but what's it going to be like in three years' time when I'm still doing this? And I, fe I just felt this boundless sense of faith, really, that there would always be material, that it was always going to pour in. And I guess part of my philosophy is that you've got to keep shoveling stuff out so that more can, you make space for more in, in your mind and in your soul. So 
um, I thought, it, you know, in principle, if, I, if I'm getting stuff, I need to just get it out there because then I can make space for more stuff. So Stories from the Borders of Sleep kind of came out of that. I just sort of almost set myself the challenges. Can I write a short story every fortnight? Um, or even if, well, it was every week and then it was every fortnight. And as you probably know, it's kind of become more sporadic. But it's still there as almost like a baseline. Is like, mm. you know, consistency. What am I, what am I going to do? Um, and it's, it's got a life of its own. And I think it's taken off from there. And it's become more than just a, a creative discipline for me now. Uh, because the other people on board hmm. <laughs> and other people who say, hey, when's the next episode and stuff like that. And suddenly it becomes a responsibility and um, it, it, you know, it's a completely different animal from just me setting myself a challenge, I suppose. But that was definitely how it started. I was just, hmm. I set myself that challenge. And that came about the same time that you uh, left your workaday world and kind of pursued this more artistic... Um, That's right. Uh, I, I have to ask, you know, why bedtime stories? Why was that the genre that you just felt uh, called to write for? Yeah, I wondered if you'd ask me. What I have to say is, there weren't bedtime. There were never meant to be bedtime stories in the first place. <laughs> I think it's um, it's t it's turned out that way. Um, and I suppose that's just like my compass coming round to something that was always actually there. The fact that a lot of the stories are have their inception in, in dreams uh, or I think of them as I'm falling to sleep. Mm. When I came up with the idea of stories from the borders of sleep, it was probably just based on this idea that there's a there's a liminal kind of reality between waking and sleeping, as I kind of say in the introduction to the podcast, where um, the things that we encounter every day start to look a bit strange. And there's the intrusion of fantasy into everyday life. And and then the two worlds kind of become meshed together. And I think one of the powerful things about fiction that I've read is is that it does that like it takes the mundane and there's this mystical quality to it there's the intrusion of the fantastic into it and I realized once I started writing that most of my stories seem to be about that they mm. seem to start um, with something fairly normal and then there's a, a shake-up that you know something happens and the mask of reality slips and and you and you see there's the, the kind of mysteries underneath it um, and then you know, once I started getting feedback in terms of how people were listening to the stories, everybody was like, bedtime stories, it's great. You know, huh. I, I listen to them to go to sleep. And I had no idea that my voice is lulling. I had no idea <laughs> that my voice had any kind of quality to it apart from, you know, just telling the stories. And I've, I've kind of embraced that because absolutely the majority of the feedback has been I listen to your stories in the middle of the night. I use them to get to sleep. And I think that's kind of shifted my sense of what mm. I'm doing um, and gone, right, I'm just going to embrace that and I'm going to use my voice <laughs> and its qualities or whatever it has and, and kind of just run with that. But probably many of the early on stories weren't written with that deliberate sort mm. of sense of like this would be a good bedtime story. That's interesting. Was, um, that, was that a challenge to overcome when because one of the questions I had was is it a compliment 
when someone falls asleep listening to your story. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like that wasn't the original intent, intent but... Yeah. I, well, I often joke that, well, that means I don't really need to bother with my endings of the stories because most people <laughs> say, yeah, I'm usually asleep. I, I have to listen again to find out what happened in the end. Um, and th that kind of makes me feel good because I think sometimes my endings are just the weakest part of the stories <laughs> anyway. Um, so we, uh, it, it was it a challenge? Um, no, but I, what kind of came upon me through that was more of a sense of responsibility, I guess. Um, I think that, I mean, we know that strange stuff happens at the edge of sleep, you know, in terms of the receptivity of the mind and, um, you know, there's, there's hypnosis, there's all kinds of kind of interim states between waking consciousness and, and sleeping where we're incredibly receptive, I suppose. Um, and so I think it's a stage in our, in our daily routines where we are actually probably quite vulnerable in many ways. Um, and there's my words going in people's head. <laughs> and I, I think I, as a result of that, I just suddenly sort of, there was a bit of an intake of breath and I was, okay, um, you know, I should think about what I'm doing. You know, I've, there's one story on that, on the podcast, it's called Trespassers. Mm. And that's my attempt to write horror, really. Mm. Um, and I have had feedback just saying, that was a little bit of a shock to me. You know, I put on your podcast and I wanted to go to sleep and I found it's frightening <laughs> and disturbing and I don't want to do that <laughs> you know uh, uh, and so I I've had to there's possibly stuff I've I've steered away from um, as a result of knowing that people are, are using them as bedtime stories um, I think there's a, a a great sort of tradition well there's there's a there's a lot of Retelling of fairy tales and stuff is quite popular and it's on the rise, but there's a, a very dark kind of dimension to that. And um, I definitely feel like one of the things I want to do is is for my stories to be filled with light uh, and not to be disturbing, uh, to be comforting and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a sense of responsibility, I suppose. And I think as writers, you probably you know this yourself, you're putting stuff out there, you're having influence, we've got something incredibly powerful in our words. We should use them responsibly. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that is a challenge, yeah. That's really interesting, and I mean, that was one of the things that I first discovered when I began listening to your stories, is that uh, they did just fit that state of mind of laying in bed and usually having a lot of thoughts going on from the rest of the day, and I would start listening to your narratives and it would immediately kind of overrun my thoughts, which I didn't want to hear anyway, and kind of right. introduce me into these these worlds. And for most of them in the beginning, I think um, the very first podcast was where I started. And uh, I think I had to listen to that probably five or six times before I made it to the end. But all through that week, it was sort of infused with my daily wow. experience. So it is kind of a powerful um, place that you are uh, influencing people. I wonder if uh, if you see that as an opportunity to maybe share some of the things that you feel about life, or do you ever create a story with some sort of intent behind it? 
definitely. I, I think there is... Um, I guess I... Yeah, the stories from the borders of sleep, my ambition for it is that it will ultimately, as a body of work, it's going to contain everything I know about life is going to be hidden in there somewhere. Um, and I... I was listening to your first podcast on uncomplication and you used this word Trojan horse, which <laughs> like just kind of went off in my mind because I think that's that's what narrative does for us. It it gets in under the radar and stories have this haunting kind of ability. So you and, and the problem is our imaginations. Well, it's not a problem. It's a wonderful thing. Our imaginations are so quick to work that if I say pink elephant, you've pictured that pink elephant before mm -hmm. you can even Guard stop yourself it, from yeah. pitching. That's right, there's, there's no, your defenses are done when, when I'm accessing your imagination. So, um, so that there's, it's almost like, it, it is narratives as Trojan horse and it gets into us. And my experience with stories, with narratives, as they do, they haunt me. I chew on them through the day. I kind of, uh, I, I see parallels in my own life. Um, and it helps me to understand reality and it helps me to process myself and I found that to be often very healing and um, restorative mm. and and as as much as anything else just making sense or nonsense of life uh, and so I I'm very aware of that when I'm writing and I guess there's stuff that I, I want to share, but not in a preachy kind of way. Uh, and I think stories, again, are the best way to do it. You, people will take away and make of it what they will, and it, and, and it will become part of their lives. Um, and therefore, even if they completely don't get... There's not, it's not like there's an overt message to everything um, that I write, but there's, they're all... I mean, there's no story that's not an allegory of something that doesn't have parallels. And I think that, you know, I read a lot of mythology and I expose myself to to the great stories that come from many cultures. And you've got a lot of um, the same themes that I hope I bring out in stories from the borders of sleep as well. So, you know, they're, they're redemptive, um, they're kind of heroic, um, they're they're quirky, but they, you know, they're, they're the way that human beings understand our place in the world and why we're here and what got us here. And so I guess I have a sense that maybe my stories will help people to just, I don't know, absorb some of what I've learned along the way without me kind of just preaching it at them. Hmm. That's very interesting. And I'm also a, a big fan of like Joseph Campbell and reading about yeah. the hero's journey and some of the underpinnings of all of the world's greatest stories. Um, do you ever have a feeling when you're writing these stories that they're coming from almost a deeper pool of, of human wisdom? Or where do you think these characters and situations are, are coming from when they're coming through you? Yeah, I think you've used all the right language there. They're coming from somewhere. <laughs> One almost feels you're uh, sort of channeling something, uh, a, a vibe. And I... Uh, I find it quite convincing what Jung has kind of written on the collective consciousness, kind of, um, that we do share this, uh, this landscape um, as humanity 
which has recognizable features in, in it. Um, and I think that that you know the dream world accesses that our waking world our subconscious accesses that all the time and so without you know speculating too much of where the stories come from um we've all had that experience of having a dream and waking up and thinking i can't believe my brain generated that i mean that's just whack you know that i don't that's not me <laughs> and that that and i i find the creative process writing fiction writing coming up with narratives is very much like I just let stuff run in my head and I just make sure I'm observing and recording what happens um, and it doesn't feel like it feels given you know mm -hmm. it, it feels like a gift I guess it feels like um, I'm I'm purely observing a story that is not my own and I am I'm the scribe, you know, yeah. it's my responsibility to write it down and to give it to humanity. <laughs> it sounds really grandiose, doesn't it? Uh, but yeah, maybe that's the superhero self. That, uh, that's where I, where I see myself, that kind of scribing, scribing role, bringing, bringing stuff up from another realm and, and giving it form in this, in this realm. And what's that feeling like when you've actually brought something forth are you are you ever surprised that that yeah. was somehow in you? Yeah, um, it's surprising and delightful. I don't, uh, uh, you know, some stories I I kind of know where they're going to go, but I I think a lot of writers would also sort of testify that you you're as surprised by what people do in your stories as as, hmm. an, as the reader is, um, and sometimes a character just does not behave the way you want them to or you you send your imagination around that corner and there's something around there that you were, just weren't expecting to be there um, and in many ways uh, that has su such a resemblance to dreaming reality again doesn't it you know um, they have a, we have a lack of control mm. and there's a lack of predictability there um, so it's surprising and delightful and all those things so yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I do. Yeah, I feel great um, when I've when I've uncovered something. So what is what is the process typically like? Do you have some rituals that you kind of undergo when you write a story, or how do you open yourself to these characters and situations? I think inspiration comes from a, a mindful approach to the world. Uh, around me so I, I take notes all the time I, I guess kind of mentally and on paper um, I'll be out walking the dog I'll see a funny shaped tree it'll give me an idea I'll hang on to that idea it might suddenly in my mind coagulate with another idea about you know a planet with three suns on it or something and and it all just kind of gradually it begins to take shape so I, I always get to a point with a story where it's there's a seed I guess it, that's reached maturity inside me and then it's time to write it so there's enough there to put pen to paper to begin and then usually it's a journey of discovery from planting that seed on the paper and then growing it as as I kind of let it unfold and, and be what it is but I in terms of rituals I I I sleep a lot 
<laughs> I take I take naps. I dream. I give myself mm. opportunities to dream. I have a very watchful approach to my own descent into the sleep state. I can tell uh, when, when the dream kind of when the subconscious starts to in, intrude, and you start to get slightly odd images coming. You know, sort of a, it's almost like a parade mm. starts to kind of or you find a random phrase kind of floats through your mind and stuff. I pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I daydream an awful lot. So I'll be waiting for a bus or I'll, I'll be sitting in a park or, or you know, any, anywhere where I'm waiting or have downtime. I just go off into my head and do, do like just meditate, I suppose, uh, and just see where my imagination takes me. So there's, I can't say I like get up and I have a certain ritual, but I do provide lots of opportunities for me to expose myself to the subconscious, I, I guess, mm. and, and to kind of, and I think as we take steps in, into that, um, kind of becoming more aware of our subconscious and working with it, you just get better at it. It's like learning to walk. Um, and it's like a muscle, the more you use it, the better the easier it is to use and the further you can kind of go with it so I I make sure yeah I, I spend time meditating as well mm. in, in my kind of uh, in my using imagery and imagination as much as possible and so that's obviously a useful tool for um, coming up with some of these ideas do you also is that part of your just life's practice as well as those moments of meditation or daydreaming is that important to your health and well-being <laughs> yeah I'm not a disciplined person <laughs> uh, so I get bored very quickly with routines hmm. uh, I suppose maybe that's my nice way of saying I'm just ill-disciplined um, I so there have been I uh, there have been seasons when I uh, have made a point of sitting quietly in the morning bef before I have my breakfast or there have been seasons when I've tried to, you know, I've done half an hour of writing before I do anything else during the day. There have been seasons um, when I've kind of instigated one practice or another, but they've never lasted for an awfully long time because I, I don't know, I, maybe I tend to make it into a thing. And as soon as a thing becomes a thing, it's time to, to drop it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because then one becomes a slave to this, you know, ticking this box for, for you doing this thing rather than it being of intrinsic kind of worth and reward. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I'd love to say, yeah, I have this great kind of program worked out, but I'm not a programs kind of person. And I'll be honest, like, I... I don't think the podcast would happen. I don't think this writing would get done. This writing wouldn't get done probably if I didn't have the podcast now. It's got to a stage where I I would get hundreds of ideas on paper, but actually to forge them into a story, um, it really helps to know there's an audience there and also that I've booked the studio time, you know, and I'm on this date I'm going to go and I need to have something to record. And so sometimes I'll be writing right up to the point where I get in the car to drive yeah. over to Tim's house, you know, and, and record it. Um, 
So that those those are the rhythm. I suppose if there's any rhythm about it, that's it's the kind of like sticking a date in the diary, going this is when the next podcast's going out. We need some material, you know, and then seeing what what what's in me at that point, kind of that will will form a story. <laughs> Necessity is the mother of invention, right? True, and I think we it's a, it's a hack that I've I've got in my life mm. is if I want to get something done try and get someone else involved, you know, try and become accountable, try and get someone else alongside me, um, because then it's much more likely to happen. Right? Commit to, to it, tell people you're gonna do it so that you're gonna totally lose face if you don't. Yeah. And, and you know, those crazy little things will, will give me the, the nudge I need not to just kind of be lazy and not bothered myself. One of my favorite, so, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. One of my favorite expressions to just kind of wrap that into a thought is the idea of throwing your hat over the fence. I love that expression. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a almost reckless act. But once, yes. once you've done that, you, you got to go get it. You got to. That's right. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of seeing it. Yeah, I've heard that. And yeah, it's exactly like that. But, you know, we've got to try all the help we can get sometimes <laughs> just to, yeah, hack our own lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of jumping out of order here, which I think is, is fine, but you've, you've brought up some great uh, concepts that I want to dive deeper into. Um, and since we're right at it, um, I just want to kind of hear your thoughts on how most people you talk to, at least in my experience, you talk to someone, they have their usual um, jobs and responsibilities, but they've also got this passion in them to do something and uh, being uh, a creative type who's able to kind of find that balance, uh, yeah. it sounds like you've got some of these hacks. Are there, are there other just thoughts that you have on you know, what, what it takes to, to actually do something that you, that you really want to do? Yeah. It takes a long time, I think, is, is one answer. And I, I made an attempt several years ago, maybe uh, about 13 years ago, to to become a writer. Um, and I kind of set myself to do that. And I thought it would happen overnight. I, I did, I think. I had this boundless confidence in myself. And, uh, and I, I kind of, it was a train wreck within a few months and I was in debt and I needed to just like, knock the whole thing on the head. <laughs> so the second time kind of going into it, I think I had my eyes open a lot more. And and I often say, I, I talk to lots of people who say that they feel that they, there's a book they want to write. I mean, that's very common. We've all got a book in us. Um, but I think we, there's a wonderful line in one of Eugene Ionesco's plays where he says, art is long and life is short. And we're very aware of the shortness of our life, but I don't think we appreciate how long art is, you know, and how long it takes to face down the demons of, of your own creative processes and, and, um, and, and jump over those hurdles and then f find your voice and to actually decide what you really what's really in you, you know, because I think a lot of us have a vague impression that we quite like to do this or we, we were really good at that once and we, we never took it far enough or, 
Um, but actually, like, it, it takes years to, to find your voice and it takes years to work out who you are and what you're doing. And, and so I, I think there's almost no shortcuts to that. So you've got to get your 10,000 hours in or whatever. <laughs> I think 10,000 hours is a bit much, but you've got to get, get you've got to put the time in. And I think um, that's not a case of setting, again, you know, take a sabbatical, like three months to, to do something that you've always wanted to do. Uh, I think actually working out how to, how to take bites at it in the rhythm of your life, um, carve, carving out just a bit of space somewhere to begin to, and to prove, I think if something's rarely in us, uh, it will almost be easy to do. There's almost a kind of, uh, it's not just a nice thought about something we might like to do one day, but it's enough part of us that we're prepared to sort of pay the price almost to, to make space for it in our lives. I can always, I, I can always make space for brushing my teeth in the mornings. Because I'm c convinced that that's a valuable exercise, you know, it'll stop my teeth from rotting. Um, similarly, I think if we're convinced on a very deep level that what we have to give to the world is is worthwhile, then th we'll find time to to make it happen. Um, eventually, I guess for me it was almost like those things were my, I, I did creative stuff as a method of work avoidance. I mean, sometimes that can be, <laughs> what do you what do you spend time doing when you really should be doing other stuff? So we do kind of make space in our lives for it and we need to go, okay, well, I actually need to embrace this because it's just bigger than I thought it was and it, it's becoming too big to contain in, in just this little, um, a nice feeling that I might do something one day. Um, I think risk is is another thing I would kind of want to talk about with people and often do find myself talking about with people is that um, as long as an idea is in your head of like, oh, I could be a, a concert pianist or I could take up a musical instrument or I could start a band or I could write a book or I, I could be a flower arranger or I could really make something of my photography as long as that's just in your head as a nice idea, it's really safe because you've never failed at it. Um, but the minute you actually say, no, I'm going to do this, then you're, you're setting yourself up to fail. Because if it doesn't work out, then you're, it, you, you've shattered your own dreams. You know, the whole thing is you can't dream about it anymore. And I guess I, I think we all have that inertia of, of just thinking, having a vague, sometimes it's much nicer to keep a project, an inspiration just in that ideas place where we can feed on it in a kind of like, oh, this would be really, you know, one day I'll be a great writer or whatever. And uh, actually, it's, it's much safer there because you can't fail at an idea that you have in your head. Um, so, but I, yeah, I, d I think it takes time uh, and it takes, it does take a certain amount of, of persistence and wanting it enough. Um, I think if we, like particularly with writing, if you, if you 
if your motivation to write is to see your name in print or something like that, that's pretty thin. And and uh, I find, like, I talk to people who sort of set out on a writing path and to talk to them, you sense that there's a driving ambition. They just want to see their name on a book. <laughs> they want to get a book out there. Um, and we have to find better motivations. We have to find better motivation than uh, pleasing people as well or... Um, write you know write in producing what people want the the reward has to be in the story in the thing itself um and the, you know these are all battles that i probably faced in the first six to eight months of you know setting out to be a writer um the other thing is vulnerability if you uh you begin to put if you if you have art in you and you give it form and you put it out there you you relinquish control over how it's received you and you put a piece of your own self uh, out in the public realm where anyone can have a pop at it and anyone can misunderstand it anyone can like not get it at all um and that's frightening i think and that, that's another kind of demon that we have to face down when when we set out on a creative path is uh just that that you are you are putting a piece of yourself out hanging like a piece of meat in the bush and it's going to get covered in flies. I, I don't know if that's the best analogy. That's just the crazy thing that popped into my head. But um, And you just have to be cool with that and you have to settle that in your mind, that it's okay to be misunderstood and it's okay if I'm not popular and it's okay if people don't like my stuff. And, it's, and, 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 and that's all right because I like my stuff, I guess. <laughs> Uh, you have to like what you're doing and it has to be almost more important than people's opinion because uh, that's bound to disappoint if that's the motivation. So I just think there's a whole, you know, in the first, even if you've got all the time in the world, in the first six to eight months to two years, you're finding your voice, you're working out what you're doing, you're facing down, you're getting used to this sense of vulnerability, uh, you're finding rhythms that work for you, you're uh, you're trying to find a better motivation that will en enable you to ride out the disappointments. Um, and so there's all that to be faced. And then you actually start motoring, you know, you start doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, and then you can get in a rut. So, <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, it's a, it's a journey. Um, and it's probably isn't for everyone. But I, I, I do a lot of editing work and one of the most exciting things for me is to come alongside other authors or even people just writing a business report, you know, and helping them to get their words on paper and helping them to 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 say what they want to say. Um, and, you know, I, I really enjoy that and I, through that, have become convinced that there are a lot of people who have a lot in them that the world needs to hear and they're not... Um, putting it out there. Uh, I don't know if that's answered your question. It certainly oh, allowed I, me to waffle on a bit. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you just put such eloquent words to so many things that I've experienced firsthand, as well as things that I was yeah. hoping that we would kind of touch on in this interview. So um, just amazing. Um, there, there's like three or four places I wanted to kind of pick up on from that. Uh, the first is, like you said, everyone kind of has this image in themselves of what they're capable of 
and to not try lets you keep that nice little you know self-image that oh if I really yeah. wanted to I could do this this and yeah. this and so I'm curious um, you know when you're when you're writing and when you're um, actually engaged in this process uh, what kind of limitations or shortcomings do you come up against and how do you how do you move past those I yeah you've challenged me quite deeply mm -hmm. there because I, I I think what I'm recognizing as I think through that question is that I uh, like many of us I you get to a new normal which is safe for you um, and so there's wrestlings there's challenges but um, you kind of if I think of myself and uh, and my writing at the moment it's it's safe <laughs> I don't I, I probably am not being immensely kind of stretched by it or, or meeting I, I kind of know where I know where I function I know what I can do and I know what I can do well and and I, I just kind of almost it's a no-brainer okay I can just get in that saddle and ride for miles uh, but what about changing horses? And, and I think that probably is is the challenge, is um, not getting in a rut. I think I do have a fear, actually, of drying up, um, of the inspiration drying up. And I think for the first kind of couple of years of doing Borders of Sleep, I was like, yeah, there's a never-ending kind of stream of inspiration. I can tap into it all the time. But for me with Borders of Sleep is, you know, it's identifiable as a niche. It's, um, it's kind of bedtime stories. They have the streamlight quality. How many times can I flog that horse, you know? <laughs> How many times can I ride it? Uh, is that almost as a genre? Is it exhaustible? Is it? Will I come to an end of, of stuff that's going to fit that? And I, I think uh, I ch I'm, the challenge is maybe to not get in a rut, to, to mix things around a bit. Um, and I guess on some level that means that, that the, the podcast and the output will, will shift. In I'm going to have to find another area that works, that still kind of works. Um, it's still good for bedtime stories, mm -hmm. still good in terms of what the listeners expect, but is also kind of challenging and stretching for me. Um, I think that the only other thing I find that really unblocks me is humor. Um, and I find that if I get into writer's block, I just tr just write something funny with as many puns or crazy words in it as I can think of. Um, or, uh, or just try and find the humorous angle on something. Uh, often that can can be very liberating, can really unblock things again. Uh, so some of some of the podcast stories, they they're just funny, and I have written them really quite quickly, um, and they're almost like unblockers for me. Huh. I'm just okay if I can't be serious, if I can't be deep, if I can't go like deep into the subconscious and bring up some treasure from from underneath. Uh, why don't I just write something stupid? <laughs> why don't I just write something? nonsensical um, and 
yeah, I I found that helpful. Um, and I, I guess the poor listeners have had to put up with it sometimes. <laughs> I just kind of just, I want to just be ridiculous. Um, so maybe maybe get, just being too serious can mm. can cause one to um, to to come to a grinding halt. I certainly find that in my life. If you know, I've talked about the responsibility of toying with people's subconscious. You know, as they're falling asleep. Um, that's heavy stuff. Uh, the the flip side of that is let's just be a bit crazy because life is is pretty stupid anyway. Um, so so let's have fun and um, and sometimes yeah maybe maybe that's that's the way <laughs> I I meet that particular challenge anyway because we can t- yeah yeah taking myself too seriously that's that's probably the thing I fall prey to and that's that can definitely slow me down sometimes I've definitely experienced that and have been wrestling with that challenge as I seem to have like two switches one for just overly serious almost unbearably and then the other just absolutely ridiculous yeah and I think um, there's got to be a way to bring the two into balance but I guess the two are sort of a pendulum uh, that kind of keeps you in this good center even if it's going back and forth and I'll just say as a side note that the jelly fargle marsh is one of my favorite stories Oh, um, good. <laughs> when I first when I first heard it, it, it surprised me, and I I didn't understand a word of it. But having listened to it now many many times, I mean, I'm right there in that room. I understand all the yeah. words. It's it's really pretty unique in that way. Um, which brings me to I think another section that I really wanted to kind of talk about, and we've kind of danced all around it. But just as uh, as a creator, as an author, um, what is the importance of the audience? Um, it comes down to my right to the bottom of this is my fundamental motivation for writing I think my there's a beautiful line in there's a film about the life of C.S. Lewis it's called Shadowlands with C.S. Lewis played by Anthony Hopkins Uh, and there's a wonderful line in that film where uh, C.S. Lewis notices a student in a bookstall and he's stealing books uh, and C.S. Lewis calls the student out on this, um, and the the student kind of just explains what f- reading a book feels like for him. And then C.S. Lewis says, "We read to know that we're not alone." Mm. Which, and that that is the truth. That's the bottom line for me. Um, in my life, I have read. Books, the greatest comfort that books, that literature's given me is to know that I'm not alone, that other people have seen this stuff before me. Like other people have thought these thoughts, other people have felt this way, other people have looked through my eyes um, and I've seen through their eyes. And and we're not alone on this planet. We're not as alone as we thought we were. We're not these kind of like isolated individuals, but we all belong to one another in, in many ways. Um, and that's a great comfort. And I, I kind of flip that on its head and I write to let others know that they're not alone, fundamentally. Um, and that's the kind of sense of, again, the sense of responsibility I guess I have with that. Um, my Stories from the Borders of Sleep gives me an opportunity to explore some stuff that I'm exploring myself and really fascinated by it. and I guess it's uh, it's creation-based spirituality 
it's um, kind of the Western esoteric tradition, the um, the connections with alchemy and um, kind of uh, the Kabbalah and like loads of mystical traditions from the West uh, and the East. And yeah, I guess it's a, it's a spiritual exploration and that's very much at the bottom of my kind of output. I'm exploring ideas that I'm picking up from mythologies, from anthropologies, uh, from spiritualities kind of um and as i say like the kind of the western esoteric thing has been a big influence on me um the mythology of of kind of norse mythology um irish and celtic mythology bushman kind of mythology from the saharan desert kind of near where i grew up as a kid um all these things have kind of informed me and i i kind of I feel like I'm reaching out to people who are seekers, I guess, like I am. People who are just sojourning, people who are pilgriming, people who are listening to kind of the what's underneath, (laughs) what's behind this veil, you know. Uh, And I, I think I deliberately... There's definitely... There's little Easter eggs in my stories that I guess it, people from an esoteric tradition, people who are familiar with the tarot, for instance, or people who are familiar with the Bible are going to just go, ah, aha, I see what he did there. Mm. Most people will go, oh, that's a nice, interesting thing. Um, but other people will actually spot and they'll pick up on a key there. Um, and so I, I do deliberately... There's all these little Easter, uh, little Easter eggs kind of scattered throughout the... So I, I think my audience is like anyone who likes a good story and wants to, to kind of relax <laughs> and get to sleep. At the same time, I feel like I'm almost, I'm wanting to start a conversation with people who are exploring these kind of things. People who are also, like yourself, just interested in um, the, the exploring the inner space, I guess, kind of. Uh, and in understanding the commonality of our kind of human heritage and um, and the unseen realm and, and how it impacts our life. And uh, so I want to have those conversations with people. And so I think in, I'd like to see that grow kind of in terms of my engagement outside of the podcast itself with listeners and so on, is, is to kind of hear where they are and, and, and so on. So, yeah, it's deliberately, it's definitely seeded with stuff that hopefully some people will just recognise, ah, that's, that comes from this, or that's a clever side reference to, that, to the other. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of what's going on. So that I've kind of given away the secret a bit there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, I, you know, I, at the end of the day, they're just, they're just stories. Um, but there, for me, there's definitely another kind of layer to them. For those who want to go into that, uh, it's it's all there for the mm. for the picking apart. Kind of. Well, you you've kind of showed me a little opening, so I'm just going to try and maybe probe a little deeper. I'm curious, um, separate from the the stories and the borders of sleep, uh, just as you as an individual, um, have you? Are, is there are there any moments in your life that you could expound upon where you 
saw a bigger something happening or, um, you know, a, a transformational moment that kind of led you to these interests? Yeah. A lot for me has been almost in the last five years, recognizing what was always there, I think. Um, as a child growing up in Africa, it's the landscape is is incredibly powerful and to me growing up i don't think i ever questioned that it the landscape didn't have personality i suppose or presence about it um and then i was kind of uprooted from that aged 11 and came to the uk and sort of came to a very unfamiliar culture but also a very unfamiliar landscape um and one of the first things I noticed were that the rocks and the trees weren't talking to me anymore, <laughs> if you see what mm. I mean. I didn't feel known. Um, and I, I guess that's an experience that a lot of exiles or, you know, people who've been uprooted will, will, will experience that they, in their homeland, they feel known by, in a mysterious way, the rocks, the soil. Um, has has its roots in them as much as them having their roots in it and so i quickly kind of discovered that the english landscape is full of wonder and mystery as well and history and and i gradually kind of re-established and got to know the rocks round here you know <laughs> I'm actually in the north of England now, which is not where I spent my teenage years. But I mean, I, I've just recently discovered, remembered that I, I spent most of my teens collecting rocks. Uh, so I always had my eyes on the ground and I'm actually surrounded by them now because I just kind of recently, um, there's, there's a fossil, which kind of doesn't work on a podcast, does it? Um, <laughs> but I kind of recently got out my old rock collection and brushed them off. And I realized that actually I've, I've had a long relationship with creation as a living thing. Um, and I, my, a big part of my story is really that when I was about 17, 18, um, I became a Christian and I, I became like deeply involved in church life. And I fell in love with Jesus Christ as a person. And that became a kind of a, a very profound kind of sealing the deal of, of something I felt I'd been groping my way towards for a long time. Um, and that made a lot of sense to me. But another thing that kind of happens is there was a new community and a new culture that I desperately wanted to belong to. And so I perhaps began to, and I, I suppose that the story of kind of being born again as a Christian is that you leave your old life behind. So I, I threw everything that had gone before into the, the dark room where I would never return, kind of shut it away. Um, and, you know, that was my past and, and now I'm kind of moving on because I've, I've got a new life now. And, uh, and, and, the, and I perhaps began to behave in ways in which um which would make me more acceptable to this 
new and exciting community of, of Christian believers that I wanted to be part of. And, um, and, and so one of the ways of, of sort of telling this story is to say that I started to put in lots of layers of uh, kind of that weren't me. Um, and I feel like the last decade has been kind of asking the question, what happened to that little boy collecting rocks, you know? Mm. What, what happened to that child running around um, just absolutely taking it for granted that, um, that creation was alive and that there was something animating it that knew, knew me personally? Um, and so I guess I, I kind of like took a theological diversion and um, that hasn't been in, entirely without adding extraordinary value to my life and putting me in a community of, of people who are very precious to me. Uh, but it also added loads of other junk, <laughs> which I kind of feel like I'm peeling off and rediscovering that there was, there's been a sort of a wisdom inside me um, steadily kind of intuiting my way forward and the minute I kind of download doctrine from another source that can sometimes really cut across uh, what is natural like in terms of my the path that I'm on and I feel that in I feel that God is real and um, that we can we can speak with him or her and relate to. And I, f I feel that if anything, he or she has kind of called me back to the things that I, I was as a child and opened up this whole world of, no, that wasn't a waste of time. It doesn't have to be banished to a room, but it could be rehabilitated into who and what you are now. Um, and those are, that's a, that, that little boy with his rock collection was very wise and, uh, and probably, yeah, wiser than me in, in many ways if, if he was naive. Um, and I'm kind of rehabilitating that. I'm in this very exciting process. So I think actually the stories from the borders of sleep draws an awful lot from that time in my life. Um, and it, it has been for me personally a, a story about kind of rehabilitating the child, uh, the childlike simplicity, um, the kind of sense of, of the divine in creation, um, the sense of being known by rocks and stones. And, um, and I, so I'm kind of in the process of, I'm still a Christian believer, I would call myself that, but I'm in the process of of understanding that in terms of everything else that I've seen and heard along the way. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's my story. I haven't really pinpointed any, like, defining moments. Um, but I did have a, I blogged about this not long, long ago. Um, I think that Those kind of moments of oneness, of connectedness, of... I had a very strange feeling just a couple of weeks ago. I was walking down the road, and there was a car coming up behind me. I couldn't see the car. Um, but as the car went past me, I felt that the car was... Uh, had this personality, <laughs> even though it's a lump of metal. 
and it was a very odd feeling and I but that that kind of stuff used to come thick and fast in my life and I you know I remember just having you know for me objects definitely they're not they're more than just objects they often do seem to have personality um and so I I took that as a key to the just waking up a lot more to the the animate nature of inanimate objects and the animus of nature itself um I had a uh, I've had experiences of just profound joy coming out of nowhere, not looked for, not asked for, not meditated, not pursued in any way, but you can just kind of walk through a door and suddenly you feel indescribably happy for no apparent reason. Um, and it's almost like it just kind of starts to rain happiness. <laughs> um, and those, those moments are kind of precious, but within that is, is a sense of expanding um, of being a, a cosmic creature of both sort of spirit and body simultaneously belonging to the earth and the heavens um, sensing that the universe is like a, is actually almost completely contained within myself in, in moments like that and I know that that's the goal of most world religions is to kind of to sense that to achieve that and um it uh, there's all sorts of practices and techniques that one can grope towards but in my experience it sort of just happens accidentally and unasked for and unlooked for sometimes but it definitely points to a greater more expansive reality beyond and uh, uh, that we are more than just flesh and blood if you see what i mean um, and all, so I think all that's kind of like just sort of drip-fed in in t in the midst of the narratives from the stories from the borders of sleep. It's all kind of there. Um, I had a an experience as I was falling asleep a few weeks ago, well, uh, a few months ago, um, where I was kind of constructing an argument in my head. So I was replaying a conversation I'd had earlier in the day with someone, but I was coming up with all the things I should have said. And I was like, but as I was, as I was kind of thinking through what I should have said, I, I came to the end of words and I just saw an image in my mind of a ruler just stretching out over a big chasm. And there were a pair of dividers, like kind of navigational instrument kind of dividers, uh, like pacing along the ruler. Those navigational, those dividers got to the end of the ruler and there was just black space. And as they went off the edge, I had this incredible sense that I knew the answer to everything. That in that moment, I was omniscient. Like, I knew everything. All the things that have puzzled us, that, like why there's suffering in the world, right? You know, just every paradox, every koan, every, every strange thing that we've never been able to solve. I just knew the answer. Um, and it was an incredible feeling and it lasted all of like three seconds and then it was like someone turning the TV off, it just kind of went woof, in, back into the void. But my, it, I came out of that and I was probably just euphoric for about two or three days afterwards because I thought I couldn't remember any of the answers, but that wasn't the point. The point was that there is an answer and I had known it for a, for a split second. 
Um, and I think almost out of that, I've had a a more settled, um, less terrified and less irritated view of life, <laughs> if I can say that. Um, I don't know what the answers are, but I know there is an answer to every question. Uh, I've felt it and I've stood there myself. I know how it feels and I'm just kind of content. Um, let there be mysteries, as one wise man said, and, and, I, and I'm kind of cool with that, I guess. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it is a journey. And I think something that you said in an earlier podcast was this sense that you go and you look and you read all the books there are to read and you, you explore to the depths all the varieties on offer in terms of spiritualities and so on. And you come back and you're still you, <laughs> you're still human, and life is still life, and there still aren't any answers to some things. And hey, that, let, let, let's just make our peace with that, you know, <laughs> um, and, and share it. Because, uh, I, yeah, I, don't, I, didn't think, I think that's the human condition, and it has a certain absurd beauty to it. <laughs> Wow. Well, I'm I'm speechless. I'm oh. <laughs> you are you are such an incredible uh, guest. Thank you so much for sharing um, and, and at the depth that sh that you have. I mean, I'm I don't even really know where what to say to follow on to that because it. I mean, it's, it's just be beautiful. <laughs> um, I, one one question I did want to ask, and I think you know I'm, I'm at the point now where you've said so many wonderful things. I almost don't want to get greedy. And, you know, end up with, uh, I'm sure that you and I could talk for six hours and just, you Yeah, know, I'm sure. Um, I'm so aware that I've, I've talked and talked and talked. So you're a great listener and you've, you've uh, had some fantastic questions. But I do feel like I've been doing all the talking, which oh. maybe was the point of an interview. But uh, I would have you know, stopped I'd you if, to it, get to if know it were you. anything less than amazing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, one, one question that kind of dovetails on all of these ideas is I'm, I'm just curious in your own um, opinion or experience. Um, how have you felt maybe this idea of serendipity or I mean, it's just strange that you and I are even yeah. having this conversation and all yeah. of the things that led to that. I mean, do you? Do you feel like there is some story that you're a character in? Yeah. I want to I think we all I like the idea that we have a task, you know, in our life. We each of us has something to do. Um which God or the powers that be have decreed is our place, you know, our destiny or our um, purpose. And I also think that, yeah, I'm, I'm playing with that idea at the moment. I'm pl I, I guess, like, I, I sometimes like to think that maybe each of us has been given a task from a higher power uh, to to do while we're here. Um, at the same time, I think there's, uh, we all have access to kind of to take the, 
the biblical um, version of events, we've God kind of breathed into humanity. He breathed in his own breath or her own breath into Adam um, in our in our creation myth, and so we have that. Uh, human beings have this divine breath, which I think gives us an inner wisdom, which is connected to something very much beyond ourselves. And I do believe that's at work uh, in everyone. And if we're sensitive to it, we, we can kind of be led by it. And therefore, I th and I think that breath is an active person who sets up meetings <laughs> with people, uh, you know, prompts us to be in a certain place at a certain time and enables this serendipity to, to happen. Um, and, it, you know, I, I think the more I'm aware of it and the more I, I work with it, the more those kind of strange coincidences do happen. Um, and I, I think we can... I've definitely been... It, it, it's sometimes like, you know, I'll, a friend will pop into my head for no apparent reason. I think, well, I, re I should really give him a call because we haven't spoken in years. And I'll ignore that. Uh, and then I'll find out weeks and weeks later that really they probably could have done with a phone call, you know, because they were going through something. Um, and so you learn the hard way not to ignore these kind of promptings, I suppose. And so there's no doubt that, yeah, what's in you and what's in me is kind of connected like the, the top of that, that compasses, you know, um, in some way directing, you know, helping these kind of serendipitous occasions to occur. Uh, there's also just, you know, inevitably if you're, if you're heading in the same direction as, as people, sooner or later you find that there's someone there running the same speed and going in the same direction as you and, and you, what, you notice each other, you know. So meetings like this, I think, definitely have that element to them as well. So there's a few working theories for <laughs> <laughs> why why this kind of thing happens, but I mean it's it has been really tremendously exciting, and I do get a. You know, you've commented on the podcast a few times and emailed me, and it's really nice to find out who Thin Air <laughs> really is, um, and I, I've definitely sensed that you know uh, there's so many parallels between what what we hope to give to the world and um, and where we are on our, our on our journey that it's just tremendously exciting that something like the podcast has has kind of led to this because this is actually what more exciting than <laughs> for me that, that, than writing stories you know is actually creating connections and, and stuff so I think it's really awesome what you guys are doing on the on this website and, and through these podcasts and stuff. Um, because we're all struggling with this question of how to live. <laughs> and uh, we're not going to solve it either. <laughs> but uh, it's wonderful to share and, and to grow uh, and to connect over those things. And thank you all so much for listening. This was surely a treat for me. And I hope you likewise enjoyed um, the depth and wisdom of Seymour Jacklin. You can find Seymour's amazing podcast, Stories from the Borders of Sleep, at bordersofsleep.com and on iTunes. 
I uh, can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, you have to hear it to believe it. So thank you again for listening. It has been an absolute joy, and I look forward to sharing Uncomplication with you again soon.